0: And thus we can draw more power to them because drawing power from the scriptures, which allows the Holy Ghost to be in our life, is one of the most important things we can be doing. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and this is one of those times where it's just me on the podcast. I think we're going to start to call these... uh, Uh, short casts. uh, Maybe we'll change the name later. But anyway, maybe I'll do a a little bit more of these than I was originally thinking, because each week I just think as, uh, as I'm trying to think of, especially this Old Testament year, and come follow me, and I'm trying to think, what can I do? I really just really, really want to help people to have a great experience studying the scriptures in general and the Old Testament in particular, since that's the book of scripture that often they struggle with. I just really want to help them uh, have a great experience with this. I just, anything I can do, I'm trying to do that. I'd love your ideas. Please contact me if there's uh, anything you can think of that uh, would be helpful in terms of trying to understand the scriptures better in general and the, the Old Testament in particular. Uh, a couple of resources that are worth uh, mentioning again, in case uh, you didn't catch them when we mentioned them other times. I've created a, it's a pretty hokey website because i'm not a great web designer but i've created the website out of the dust.org so that's all one word out of the dust.org and on there you can see a page for this podcast you can see a page uh for just resources for understanding the old testament which will also give you links to little videos on a youtube channel that explain the history and background of some of this stuff uh there's a page um for understanding the book of abraham or the abrahamic covenant and so on so uh just trying to create resources to help you understand the, uh, the scriptures better, especially the Old Testament. And each week I think, oh, this one thing is such an important thing. We got to get just a little bit of information out about this thing. So today we're going to do that. We're going to um, just share a couple of uh, ideas that I think are really crucial from Moses chapter six. So I would urge you to listen to the podcast that I did with Lamar on Enoch the seer, where we do a lot of Moses 6 and a little bit of Moses 7, so it spans two weeks, but uh, it just is about Enoch being a seer, and I think it's just great, great stuff in there for everyone to hear, Um, but this one is just going to focus on a few verses in Enoch chapter 6, so that's that's what we're going to Do as we jump into chapter six, we want to focus on Enoch. Well, let's just do a little bit of background. We're not really talking in this podcast at all about Moses 5, although there's fantastic stuff in there. Uh, the uh, maybe I'll just touch briefly on ideas like Cain. Uh, well, Adam and Eve, this is some of the added stuff we get from the book of Moses that we don't get from the Bible. Uh, Cain is not their first child, Adam and Eve have other children and they teach them the gospel and satan comes and says don't believe it and they choose to follow satan and this spirit immediately comes and starts to teach them to repent and to to believe in god and believe what their parents are teaching them but all of their children choose to follow satan instead and that's why they're not going to have access to priesthood ordinances and so on and so on they have chosen to follow satan Cain ups the ante on that, although Eve initially thinks, "Ah, here's a child that's going to, to follow God, and, and sadly, he's not going to. And in fact, he will covenant with Satan and, and take things to a whole new level. Um, he kills uh, his brother, presumably, it would seem, uh, to at least partially, to get uh, his flocks. He says, I'm free, and my brother's flocks fall into my hands. Part of that free uh, information or that, that idea that he is free I, I don't know, but I suspect that at least some of that is that the the sacrifice they've been commanded to make is a lamb, and Abel has lambs, and Cain does not. So Cain is beholden to work with Abel, if he's going to do this kind of sacrifice, and just given his uh, self-centeredness, uh, I, I it seems like that's something that he doesn't want to do. That's a real problem for him, and he's not interested in working with Abel, so instead he kills Abel. But Probably the biggest problem with the sacrifice we, we have uh, in the lectures on faith, they talk about one of the problems is that he is not doing a blood sacrifice, which is what he was commanded to do. So there are blood, sac- uh, there are sacrifices that are not blood sacrifices that are important, that symbolize the savior and uh, that are appropriate to do. But in this case, he'd been asked to do a, a blood sacrifice in a a similitude of a specific aspect of the savior's sacrifice and he failed to do that so that's certainly a problem but i think the bigger problem is maybe a uh, let me uh, back up in my scriptures and find this one it's worth reading um we're going to so we know they've been commanded to um to make a sacrifice and cain hasn't done that um And then we get in verse 29. So we're in chapter 5, verse 29. Satan says to Cain, Swear unto me by thy throat, and if thou tell it, thou shalt die, and swear thy brethren by their heads and by the living God that they tell it not. For if they tell it, they shall surely die. And this, that thy father may not know it. And this day I will deliver thy brother Abel into thine hands. And Satan swore unto Cain that he would uh, do according to his commands, and all these things were done in secret. So uh, he's entered into this. Um, he's entered into this uh, covenant with Satan. But even before that, if we were to go to verse eighteen, we read Cain loved Satan more than God, and Satan commanded him, saying, "Make an offering unto the Lord." And in the process of time, uh, it, it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. So he doesn't make the offering when he's commanded by the Lord. He only makes the offering after Satan tells him to make the offering. And so the question is then, to whom is he really offering? And we have to ask ourselves, do we ever get caught up in this? Maybe not making a pact with Satan, although I I hope not, but... The idea that we are doing something that the Lord's asked us to do, but we're not really doing it because the Lord asked us to do it, but because we're following the, the world in some way. So we want people to think that we're this or that and so on. Anyway, hopefully we're not to the point of Cain, but it, it should give us pause to think. In any case, Cain now is following Satan. And so we've got all of Adam and Eve's children are following Satan. And then they have the child Seth. We get that at the beginning of chapter six. They have Seth and Seth chooses to follow God. So finally, they have a child that is following God. And we get this list of of descendants there that are following God. So the rest of mankind, all of Adam and Eve's children, if we want to talk about messy messy and difficult families, Adam and Eve, fantastic, fantastic people, right? The, The best. And most of their children have chosen to follow Satan. That's got to be heartbreaking for them. These are people who know God personally, who are bearing witness to their children personally, that they know God and that they know about Jesus Christ and that they will be saved. They are giving them their personal witness with sure knowledge, and their children are still choosing to follow Satan, except for Seth and his descendants. So Seth and his descendants will be uh, these ones that that choose to follow God are called the preachers of righteousness. They're this great line uh, that follow God, keep the covenant, uh, spread the covenant among their descendants, among their family. It's a wonderful, righteous family. And Enoch is descended from that family. And that's where we get into Enoch being called, uh, as we talked about in the other podcast that I highly recommend to you, although it feels weird to highly recommend my own podcast to you, but I do anyway. So uh, just because I think that, that there's some important information in there about what it means to commune with God and so on. Um, and we've talked about like commuting and communing and, and Enoch is, as he's trying to get his people to commute, to be with God, the key is that they are communing with God. So we're going to get down to when Enoch begins to teach the people and he starts to teach the people and the people are listening. And interestingly enough, when he starts to teach them, uh, what he teaches them is about Adam and something that happened with Adam. And there's some really key, uh, I think, some of the most profound uh, scriptural verses anywhere, really some of the most profound scriptures at all, are here at the end of Moses chapter 6 as we encounter God teaching Adam as related to us by Enoch. So it's God teaching Adam, but we're getting it through Enoch, and it's it's beautiful. So if we go to verse 52, well, let's go to verse 51. Uh, Well, we'll start with 50. But God has made known unto our fathers that all men must repent. And he called upon our father Adam by his own voice, saying, I am God. I made the world and men before they were in the flesh. And he also said unto him, if thou wilt turn unto me, and that's the the constant plea of God is turn or return to him. If thou wilt turn unto me and hearken unto my voice and believe and repent of all thy transgressions and be baptized even in water. In the name of mine only begotten Son, who is full of grace and truth, which is Jesus Christ, the only name which shall be given under heaven, whereby salvation shall come unto the children of men. So if you do all these things, and, and it's been a little bit of a caveat to talk about Christ, which is a very important caveat, but now we go back to if you'll be baptized in the name of Christ and so on. Uh, so if you do all those things, then ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost asking all things in his name and whatsoever ye shall ask it, shall be given unto you. So he's just given Adam the com- commandment to um, believe or have faith and repent and be baptized and receive the Holy ghost. And the Holy ghost is as much a promise as it is a commandment in this. Now we go to verse 53 and our father, Adam spake unto the Lord and said, why is it that men must repent and be baptized in water? So that's a reasonable question. He's just been commanded to repent and be baptized, and uh, he wants to know why. But look at the Lord's answer; it does not seem to be an answer. So in my mind, this is like Moses, chapter one, verse thirty-nine, where we get um, we get God, Moses asking God a question, and God tells him to begin with. Well, I have a good reason, and I'm not telling you. And then in, in verse 39, he gives him the, the answer finally, and it's a profound answer. And I can only assume that the verses in between were necessary for him to be able to understand the profound answer. I think that's happening here. God tells him an answer, but then he has to explain some stuff for this answer to be uh, understood. So he asks him, Why Adam asked God, Why is it the men must repent and be baptized in water? And the Lord said unto Adam, Behold. I have forgiven thee thy transgression in the Garden of Eden. That's a weird answer, isn't it? Why should we be baptized? I've forgiven you. That's, that's not exactly what you would expect. But let's, let's hold on and see if we can understand what the Lord is saying here. So he said, I've forgiven you. And then verse 54, Hence came the saying abroad among the people that the Son of God hath atoned for original guilt, wherein the sins of the parents cannot be answered upon the heads of the children for they are whole from the foundation of the world. Now, this phrase, original guilt is an important phrase. We, we don't believe in original sin, but actually most of that doctrine we do believe in the Catholic doctrine of original sin. We, we believe in 90% of that. The, the real issue we have with it is that you have to be baptized immediately or else you're lost because of original sin. And we say you don't have to be baptized immediately because the atoning sacrifice of Christ automatically covers you until you reach the age of accountability. But note that inherent in that is the idea that we need to be covered. That we, there, the atoning sacrifice does need to cover children, infants, right? It's this uh, original guilt. The issue is that you are born into a fallen body. So, even before you have the opportunity to sin or transgress, whichever way you want to talk about that, even before you have that opportunity, because you have a fallen nature, and this is because of the fall, and so it is because of Adam and Eve, and let's remember that we're grateful for that. We're very happy that they've given us the chance to have these fallen bodies in this fallen world, to have this mortal probation, but still, because of that, because we have a fallen nature the second we draw breath we are damned meaning we are cut off from the presence of god and cannot progress there on our own we're just before you choose to do a thing you are cut off from the presence of god you are damned you are in trouble without the atoning sacrifice now because there is an atoning sacrifice then children are automatically okay But the moment we reach accountability, then we're not okay again, because we still have a fallen nature. So even if we somehow, and no one will, but if we somehow chose not to sin, because we have a fallen nature, we're still in trouble. But we do both, and and God's going to address that here in just a minute. But the issue is that we do have original guilt. The Son of God hath atoned for original guilt, it says, which means there was something that we need to be forgiven of. And that is uh, both Adam and Eve's. They are forgiven of their transgression. And we all need to be forgiven of or have the, the atone be atoned for the fallen nature we have, because that nature is unholy and separates us from the presence of, presence of God. And remember that atonement is at one it's that which can set us at one with God. So we need that at one to overcome the fallen nature that separates us. And without it, we are eternally separated or eternally damned. So again, I'll read this verse. Hence came the saying abroad among the people that the Son of God hath atoned for original guilt, wherein the sins of the parents cannot be answered upon the heads of the children, for they are whole from the foundation of the world. Now, it gets even better. He's going to explain this even more verse 55. And the Lord spake again unto Adam, saying, inasmuch as thy children are conceived in sin. Now, when we hear that phrase for us, that's come to mean that someone was, someone got pregnant out of wedlock, right? Um, That's not what it means here. It's conceived by sinful parents, but he's using it that way for a wordplay that he's about to use. So, inasmuch as thy children are conceived in sin, even so when they begin to grow up, Sin conceiveth in their hearts, and they taste the bitter that they may know to prize the good. So what he's saying is, because you have a fallen nature, you will sin. It's inevitable. That's what you'll do. It's not forced upon you, but people with fallen natures do fallen things. Uh, And some of that is not a sin. Some of that is just inadequacy, but some of it is sin. Everyone who has a fallen nature will conceive of sin. And, but that does allow us to taste the bitter and prize the good. So that, that draws on Second Nephi 2 and uh, issues that we can talk about with, or have talked about with the fall, uh, hopefully in Sunday school classes and elsewhere. Anyway, so now we go to verse 56. And it is given unto them to know good from evil, wherefore they are agents unto themselves. So they, they conceive of sin. They know it is sin. They've got this opposition, the good and the bitter, good and evil and so on. And I have given unto you another law and commandment, wherefore teach it unto your children that all men everywhere must repent or they can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God, for no unclean thing can dwell there or in his presence. For in the language of Adam, man of holiness, is name and the name of his only begotten is the son of man, even Jesus Christ, a righteous judge who shall come in the meridian of time. So this is really really important especially this idea no unclean thing can dwell in his presence. In some ways all other laws all other commandments all other forms of justice hinge on this thing. This is really what it's all about. Because we we want to progress so we had to come to a fallen world but once we are fallen we have a fallen nature we are unholy we no longer have a godly nature a nature that's compatible with God we cannot be in God's presence. That's why we need that we're not holy, right? Man of holiness is his name. We can't be there. We're unholy. We're profane. We're mundane, however you want to call it. Um, And so we need the spirit and the atoning sacrifice of Christ. The spirit will carry that power into us to change our nature so that we can be with God again. That's why we have to repent and be baptized. So he's going to explain why repentance and baptism will overcome this issue that we can't be in God's presence when we're unclean note how he says so he says no unclean thing can dwell in in there or in the presence of God and then he talks about holiness and so on but now we get back in verse 58 going back to this idea that no unclean thing can dwell in his presence therefore so you see that language is tying it in for us because of what I was just talking about That no unclean thing can dwell into his presence because of that I give unto you a commandment to teach these things freely unto your children saying that by reason of transgression cometh the fall, which bringeth death. So you see the problem is that we're all dead because of the fall. We're all dead, both physically and spiritually. That's what's going to happen. So by reason of transgression cometh the fall, which bringeth death. And in as you were born into the world, note this triplet here, you were born into the world by water, and blood and the spirit so the birth process involves water it involves blood coming into our bodies and bleeding during birth and so on and the spirit being in our bodies and having life Uh, so you were born into the world by water blood and spirit so let's go again transgression brings death well transgression brings fall and fall brings death and but it also brought life we could come to life because of the fall right So it brought death, but it brought life. So the life came by water, blood, and the spirit, but that was a life that had death inherent in it, right? Life was possible, but it was a life that inherently had death. So that all happened. So he says, by water, blood, and the spirit, which I have made, and so became of dust a living soul. So because of all these things, we have these living souls that were born, but have death as part of them. Because of all of that, even so, ye must be born again into the kingdom of heaven. All right. So we were born into this world, but that birth brought, also brought death. And because there is death, we have to be born again. But note what he says, the specific form of that birth. You must be born again into the kingdom of heaven, of water and of the spirit, and be cleansed by the blood, even the blood of mine only begotten. So listen to what he's saying, and he's drawn this parallel on purpose. Your birth, your mortal birth that brought death with it consisted of water, blood, and the spirit. Therefore, your rebirth that will overcome death, you are dead. Even though you're alive, in many ways, you are dead after your mortal birth. There's an aspect of being alive, but there are aspects of being dead. So to overcome that death, you must be born again. And that birth also must have water, blood, and the spirit. So what is the water? That will be baptism. The spirit will be receiving the Holy Ghost, which will then carry the atoning power of Christ or his atoning blood into our souls. And that will change us. So note what he says again. You must be born into the kingdom of heaven of water and of the spirit and be cleansed by the blood, even the blood of mine only begotten that ye may be sanctified from all sin. That's being changed. Sanctified means to be made holy. So our problem was as unholy beings, we couldn't be with the man of holiness, but this rebirth changes us to holy beings so that we can be with the man of holiness. So that ye may be sanctified from all sin and enjoy the words of eternal life in this world, which I would seems to be the promise of eternal life and the teachings that, that bring this promise to us and the teachings of it. But so we can enjoy the words of eternal life in this world and eternal life in the world to come, even immortal glory. So in this world, we start to enjoy aspects of it, touches of it, and the promise of it. But in the next life, we get the real deal. When we're really fully and completely born again as sanctified or saintly or holy beings, all those words are related, Um, holy beings, then we have eternal life, even immortal glory. Now, verse 60. For by the water, ye keep the commandment. That is the commandment to be baptized. That's the same kind of thing Nephi was talking about uh, in 2 Nephi 31 and 32. We're, and it's really from 2 Nephi 11 and the commandment that we we'll are be baptized. So by the water, you keep the commandment. By the spirit, ye are justified. And by the blood, ye are sanctified. So let's talk about the difference between justification and sanctification. Complex stuff that we're going to simplify here. Justification means that you are uh, just before the law. So the, anything that you've done that's wrong is now washed away, it's gone, you are just. Sanctification is something different. And maybe we can understand this difference if, if we create a scenario that I hope never happens to anyone ever. But let us suppose that someone were baptized and of course then their sins are washed away and, and they're, they're free, they're pure and uh, free of sin but they as they're walking out of the font they slip and fall hit their head and they die are they ready for exaltation are they ready to be uh, godly and be in god's presence and i think we all would sense that the answer is no because while they are free of sin they're not yet really godly we could put it this way the purpose of this life is to be leaving behind a fallen nature and approaching a godly nature. And we'll have ups and downs as we go along, but we're getting closer and closer and closer to a godly nature, hopefully throughout our life. But the problem is we will all die before we reach having a godly nature. When we die, we will not be godly or perfectly holy. We won't be that kind of a nature yet. So there's a gap between where we are and where we need to be. And, the, uh, the atoning sacrifice of Christ comes in and justifies us, washes away the sin and says, it's okay. The things that you've done and your fallen nature that have made it so you're not at that gap, it's okay. You're forgiven of that. The problem is we're still, we still have the gap. Our nature needs to be changed to be godly. And that's sanctification that is becoming holy or godly, right? And so our natures have to be changed. So that happens for us all along. All of those jumps going closer to a godly nature were elements of sanctification. We get born again and again and again, but eventually we have to have a full being born again, a full sanctification where our nature is changed to being fully godlike. So we'll have lots of steps along the way, and at some point we have to have the final step. But that's what it means to be sanctified. So by the spirit we're justified, and by the blood we're sanctified. Now I find that interesting because if we turn to third Nephi twenty-seven twenty. it tells us that there the spirit sanctifies us but here it says the spirit justifies and the blood sanctifies us i assume both are correct both are scriptural and so what this seems to say to me is that both are, are part of the process you need the spirit to take the atoning blood or christ's atoning power from his sacrifice, but Christ's atoning power will be carried into our natures by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the one that can enter into our natures because he doesn't have a physical body yet, and so he takes that atoning power into our natures, and we can be justified and sanctified. On to the next verse. Therefore, it is given to abide in you. The Holy Ghost is what's given to abide in you the record of heaven, the comforter. We could spend time on what it means to have him called both the record of heaven and the comforter. We get the comforter uh, idea because we talk about that in the New Testament, but somehow he gives us the record of heaven. I think both in terms of giving us the things that are taught and are happening in heaven, we learn about that through the Holy Ghost. Also, the things we're doing can be recorded in heaven, all sorts of things there. But in any case, it abides in us. The record of heaven or the comforter abides in us. The peaceable things of immortal glory the truth of all things. This is all what's going to happen because the Spirit brings the atoning power of Christ into our lives, and we have to maintain the Spirit with us. Then we have all these things peaceable things of immortal glory, the truth of all things, that which quickeneth all things, which maketh alive all things, which knoweth all things, and hath all power according to wisdom, mercy, truth, justice, and judgment. That's beautiful, isn't it? The next verse uh, sums this up well. And now, behold, I say unto you, This is the plan of salvation unto all men, through the blood of mine only begotten, who shall come in the meridian of time. So this idea of rebirth is hugely important. And sometimes as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we shy away from that. We shy away from the idea of being reborn. I think we're getting better at it now, but we've historically been bad at this. I think in reaction to um, some of our other Christian friends' idea of rebirth although, I, or, and being born again, although I think we actually mischaracterize what they believe, and then we run away from that mischaracterization, which is a shame because actually the Book of Mormon talks about being born again more than the Bible does. If anyone should believe in being born again, it should be us. And so we have to wrestle with this idea. What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to uh, be sanctified in this way, to be changed, And we could read all sorts of things about what it means to be born again. There are great talks all over the place. I just encourage you to look at some of those talks. But let me just touch on a couple of ideas. It it means really to have our nature changed. And being born again is both an event and a process. We're born again and again and again and again. And each time it's a real event where we really are changed. We really are sanctified, but we're not all the way sanctified. So it has to keep happening again and again. Hopefully it's it's a positive cycle. Um, we've probably all could, could think of times if we were to really think carefully where we have had a born again moment, where the spirit has been with us so strongly that it's changed us and changed our desires so that we can be like, this is what is described in King Benjamin's speech with his people, that they were born again, it says they're born again, and they're begotten of Christ, right? That's, that's the born again part, they're begotten of Christ, they become new creatures, new children in Christ, Um, that's another phrase that comes from Paul, the idea of becoming a new creature in Christ that to describe this, but, and it says that they had the King Benjamin's people had no more desire to do evil, right? They only want to do good. They have no more desire to do evil. My guess is you can think of a time where you were feeling the spirit so strongly that you just had this, this desire. You're like, I don't ever want to do bad stuff again. I just want to be good from now on. I don't want to do bad ever. I just want to do good. That's being born again. That's having your nature changed. Now, you may have been at a fireside or the temple or something like that when you had that, that experience, and it was real, and it was powerful, and you were changed, and your desires and your nature were changed, just like King Benjamin's people. You're born again, you're sanctified, and then you're driving home, and someone cut you off, and uh, maybe you didn't keep that whole desire to never do anything bad again. You, you did something bad. I don't know. Uh, the point is that we'll, we don't, in this life, we're not always going to stay that sanctified. And that born again but it doesn't mean that that didn't really change us hopefully what that means is that we are changed we may not stay at that level but we don't go back to the level where we were we will it's inevitable that we will go back to the level where we were if we don't do what we need to to continue to have the spirit with us so for example layman and lemuel had born again moments they were changed but they didn't do what they needed to to continue to have that change take hold in their heart. Contrast that with Alma. They both have born-again moments because an angel scares the Dickens out of them, right? And But Alma, and Alma has this amazing experience where he calls on the Savior, and the Savior saves him, changes his nature, and he's forgiven, and it, it transforms Alma. But it's interesting to me that then when, it's a in Alma 5 and other places where he teaches Alma 7, when he talks about how he knows about christ and of the things of god he doesn't say he talks about an angel revealing it to him but when he says how he knows these things he says it's because he has fasted and prayed much to know these things and they've been revealed to him see he he, after having that change he continued to do the things that would continue to invite the spirit into his life so that he would continue to be different That's key. That helps us continue to be born again rather than have it be a one-time event or a very occasional event. Uh, It needs to be uh, repeated events. But still, let's explore this notion of what it means to be born again or sanctified, which we've learned from God teaching Adam is absolutely crucial because we cannot overcome the death that is inherent in our current birth life. Um, We we can't overcome that without this born-again experience. Uh, And it's a a change that comes because of something we're not capable of. So maybe let me just uh, uh, give one example that I hope will help you understand this well, and and then we'll wrap this up. I was once in a lecture uh, where we brought in a guest lecturer to teach some students about forgiving. And forgiveness. And he wasn't talking about being forgiven by God, but our need to forgive other people. And it was a great lecture. He was a great teacher. And he was teaching about how they needed to forgive people. And sometimes it was hard. And so they would need God's help to forgive people and so on. And a girl in the back of the room raised her hand. And she said, but if I can't forgive someone, and I'm praying and God helps me forgive them, is it really me that's forgiven them? Or is it God? And he wasn't quite sure how to answer that. So he kind of touched on something and moved on to where he wanted to go anyway, which is fine. But I thought, oh, we've just missed an opportunity to teach something. So I don't know if, if this scenario would really happen to this girl. But let's just say that this girl or someone, has, I, I know people who've had this experience, someone has done something terrible to them, something absolutely terrible. And it's hard to forgive that person. And they may struggle for years to forgive that person. So let's say this girl was struggling for years and years and years to forgive someone, and she couldn't, but she was praying to forgive that person. And one day while she was praying, she was changed, and she was able to forgive him. She found forgiveness in her heart. So the question is, was it her that forgave that person, or was it God? Well, let's say that it was, and it wasn't her. It was her, but it wasn't the her that had woken up that morning. The her that was, had woken up that morning was not capable of forgiving that person. Instead, Christ created a new her, and the new her was capable of forgiving and of maintaining that forgiveness. Doesn't mean that she'll never have pain. Doesn't mean she'll trust that person, but she became a person who could forgive because she was a new person, begotten of Christ, born again through Christ, a new creature in Christ, sanctified putting off the natural man and being made holy or a saint through the power of Christ, all these different ways of saying she's, she's become a different person who is more godly and less worldly because the spirit carried the atoning blood of Christ into her heart and changed her nature. And she was born again. That's something that has to happen to all of us. And then, as we've said, we need to continue to do those things that will allow us to continue to have this born again state. King Benjamin goes through that list of things. Right. He talks about you, you need to keep uh, doing this and that to continue to have the spirit with you. It's worth taking your time to go and study that and so on. But I hope that we can understand from this uh, a couple of things. Let's recap. We've got the importance of deciding to follow God rather than the world. So it's one thing for Adam and Eve's children to follow Satan. And we say, I would never do that. But we allow ourselves to follow the world we choose to follow the world in the way the world makes us think about all sorts of issues whether that be um, the way we think about um, our, our what the world thinks of us what's important to us what's valuable to us uh, how we're going to spend our time uh, what we love, who we love, who we choose as role models, how we think about issues like uh, same-sex marriage, how we think about issues like Uh, family and eternity and all sorts of things we allow the world to influence us uh, and choose to follow the world's views rather than God's views that's the same as Adam and Eve's children not necessarily the same as Cain but the ones who've just decided to follow Satan rather than God that's that's really is the same and we'll address this more this uh, year as we go along this idea of modern day idolatry in any case Some are choosing to follow Satan, and others are choosing to follow God. Even when we choose to follow God, we won't do it perfectly. We'll have moments that are half following the world and half following God, but we have to have our heart fully set on God. That's a key, key, key element. So when our heart is fully set on God, then we can learn about being born again, and we can choose to allow what to believe so much in Christ's atoning sacrifice, And to really repent, to really turn to him, that's what it is, to turn to him, turn away from the world and turn to him, that's the true meaning of repentance, and then be baptized. And once we've been baptized, we keep renewing that baptismal covenant Um, in truth, in reality, where we really turn to God and we really believe in what Christ can do for us, and then the Spirit will carry the atoning blood of Christ into our natures and we'll be sanctified or born again and hopefully born again and again and again. That is, I think, beautiful and powerful stuff. Those verses we've just gone through are truly beautiful and powerful verses. And uh, thinking through, I I guess I have to say that it's uh, thinking through how our birth, this became very real to me when I came to understand that our birth had an element of death inherent in it and that we needed Christ To overcome that death to have the kind of birth where there was no more death and that that was only possible both if we have christ's faith in christ and we have the spirit with us continually that is real to me that just when i one day as i was reading that and i understood that and came to understand godliness and sanctification that made this conversation between adam and god so real to me because it applies to me when he says teach your children look, that's happening right now. Adam taught uh, Enoch, or he wrote it down somewhere, and Enoch learns it, and so Enoch is teaching us, and thus, by extension, Adam, right now, today, is teaching his children, us, about the need to be born again through Christ, and I pray that we all can, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.